0: We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 19 today from the official handbook of the United States Peace Corps. What it says that a Peace Corps volunteer has to do if he is attacked by an anaconda snake. As you know, the anaconda is the largest snake in the world. They reach an average, they can reach a length of 35 feet and they can weigh 400 pounds. That's a lot of snake. For the volunteers that work in the Amazon jungle, they have a section in the Peace Corps handbook of what to do if you are attacked by an anaconda snake. There are 10 steps that you are to follow. Number one, if you are attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. You're going to like number two if you like number one. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight together. Number three. Tuck your chin. Number four. The snake will come and begin to nudge and begin to climb over your body. You'll love number five. Do not panic. (laughs) After the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet in. Always from the feet in. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Again, do not panic. (laughs) Number seven. The snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Number eight. When the snake reaches your knees... Slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down and take your knife and very gently slide it between the edge of the snake's mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Number nine. Be sure to have your knife with you. (laughs) I'm thinking that should have been a little earlier. (laughs) Number ten. Be sure your knife is sharp. (laughs) how many of you are feeling a little hardness of heart to these instructions a little resistance that maybe you might not follow these the way that they're asking you to do well we can certainly become that way we can become stubborn towards the things of god or we become steadfast in the things of god which one are we i didn't have room to keep this in your outline but i put it in mine why is some Why is it that some believers seem to be allowed to do things and others believe strongly to be against the will of God? Have you ever wondered that? Some people seem to be able to do some things in their life, no repercussions, no problem at all. And other people believe that those things are very much wrong. Then they have a lot of good support for it and a lot of good understanding of why that is wrong and why they shouldn't be doing it. So how does that go on? Well, we're last couple of weeks, we're just going to give you a little bit of review we saw in the first week that uh, they had a, a man in the temple on the Sabbath day and they expected Jesus to come over and heal him. And they become so calloused in their doctrine that they preferred their doctrine over helping people. They had the doctrine to believe that you shouldn't be healed on the Sabbath. We ask you this question. Which is more important, doctrine or people? And we all hem and hauled about it. And, you know, we were thinking one way or thinking the other. But actually... If you say the doctrine, you will act like the Pharisees. Because if we hold doctrine above people, then we'll be doing just like the Pharisees, holding the Sabbath day above man. And Jesus rebuked them for that. If you say, that, if you say people, you will be easily moved off of your principles simply because it looks like the right thing to do for this person. And the true answer is, neither. Doctrine nor people. They are on equal levels. Because the Word of God upholds ministry to people. If you uphold the Word of God, you will uphold people. Jesus, when He gave the two greatest commandments, one was towards God and one was towards others. The Word of God is always in support of loving other people and loving God. And never makes us make a choice between doctrine and people. We went over after that into Hebrews. We saw that he, Hebrew said, Today, if you will hear His voice, today, if you will hear His voice, the Word of God says, "If you will hear His voice, if you will hear His voice, not everybody will hear it. The voice is going out, but not everyone will hear His voice." He says, "Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." We can harden our hearts; we can make ourselves stiff to the things of God. Verse uh, chapter three, and verse eight in Hebrews: "Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness." where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they will—they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He said in verse 12, Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Verse 13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you hard, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So what happens is sin gets in and the more we give in to sin, the more sin has a hardening uh, work upon us and we become hardened in the things of God. So he said to beware of an evil heart of unbelief. Beware of an evil heart of unbelief, but exhort one another daily lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of, of sin. We may think we're getting away with sin But it's having an effect on us. Verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The idea is we want to get into the Word of God, the principles of the Word of God, and be steadfast with them and not stubborn with the wrong principles and resist the things of God. Verse 15, While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Again, he tells them, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. They had heard and they rebelled. Ignorant people do not rebel. We don't know. Ignorance is not what he's talking about here. Once we hear, our response is on the stage. Once I hear the voice of God, my response is on the stage. What will I do? They could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, here's the thing. We got into the mix In Hebrews chapter 4, we were getting into the into the mix of things. Let me read this for you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. When we hear the word of God, whether it's through the written word of God, or through God sharing something with us, or... Things of God. When we hear what the Word of God is, again, we're on stage. We either mix unbelief or we mix belief. Now you are used to doing this all the time. When you see the infomercial on the TV and we see the new product, the new kitchenware, the new diet, the new Shakeology thing that you're supposed to be getting involved with. The new way to lose weight. The new way to get in shape. All these different things we can do. When we see that, how many times do we see that? And our first response is to mix in unbelief. But then we watch it for a little while. Maybe something catches our interest. And we begin to mix in some belief. Oh, that might work. Oh, look at that. Look how easy they made those things. I mean, they have some of those kitchen gadgets and they just, they whip up dinner In five minutes and you think, oh, if I could do that. And so you go from having unbelief to mixing some belief in with it. And then when you mix in belief to the thing that you're hearing, you'll act on it. When you mix in unbelief, just staying with the infomercial uh, thing again, if you mix unbelief with what you hear from the infomercial, what action comes out? I don't buy it. I don't act on what I heard. But when I believe it, I see that, oh, I need to, I need to write down that number. I need to call now. I need to call in the next 15 minutes. I need to be, I need to be one of the first 100 callers or whatever the, uh, the special deal is there for you. We, we need to, we go right to it to order that thing and to get, cause we mixed belief with what we heard and it has an action all through the last series we were talking about in the, in, in looking at doubts. When we doubt a thing, we don't act. When we believe it, we act upon it. We act upon it because I believe it. Do you act on it? Last week, we looked at three reasons we maintain a hard heart. First, I believe I'm right. Right? That's why we maintain a hard heart. I believe I'm right. If I did not believe I'm right, I wouldn't keep doing it that way. I may be wrong, but I believe I'm right. So I'm going to continue to do it. And if anyone wants to come in and tell me differently, they're wrong. Because I know I'm right. And we're resistant to it. Now, if you're right, you can be kind of probably as steadfast. But if you're wrong, you'll be stubborn. <laughs> you're not willing to move off. But there's really no difference in it, is there? You are stuck on the thing that you're going to do, but are you steadfast or are you stubborn? God doesn't enjoy stubbornness, but he loves steadfastness. I believe I'm right. Number two, I want something. There's something I want. And if I continue on this path, I'll get it. If I get off this path, I won't. And I think God wants me to get off this path from what he said here in the Word, and I'm resisting that. I want what's on this path. Uh, I resist the direction. I feel that God's telling me to go in this direction or stay in this direction or do whatever it was. And I'm resisting it. We summed it up in this way. Beliefs, things, or direction. Beliefs, things, or direction. If you weren't here last week, you can go back up on the internet. It's all there for you for free. Just download it, do whatever you want to. It's there for you today. But here over in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. This is really what happened before the story we looked at last week. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now what they're, they're asking this question, and don't you, can't you see this? They are setting this up. What kind of an answer do they want? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his life, wife for any reason? Any reason, any reason at all. They, they kind of want him to say, no, it's not right. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And see, he's not touching the for any reason part, is he? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So what he does, they go back to the Old Testament when divorce was brought in. Is it okay? You know, we're now looking at that, you know, a man can divorce his wife for any reason. Didn't talk about how the woman could divorce the man. That's the way it was. You know, a man could divorce his wife. A woman really didn't have any rights to divorce her husband. Didn't say that's Bible. That's just the way they did it a lot of things people did in the Bible that weren't right. But that's how they did it. So they're saying, you know, is it okay that we just, for any reason at all? Because it was terrible in a woman when she was divorced. Where's she going to work? What's she going to do? Back in those days, it was even more, more horrible. So then they are no longer two but one. So he's going back to, look, here's how... Here's how it was in the beginning. In the beginning, when God created marriage, he created male, female. His idea was they get married and become one flesh. What God has joined together, don't, you, don't let any man pull apart. So he's not even looking at the reasons. He's completely bypassed all the reasons and gone into this. Now, when we get to the place asking, is it lawful? How many have ever been to a place in your life and you have asked the question, is it lawful? If you go before God and ask the question, is it lawful? We know we've already missed it. Just know it. If you're trying to go, well, is it lawful that I do it? You've already missed it. It's already over. Because you're looking for a legality. God's not into a legality. Is it lawful? What you're trying to do really with this question, you are once again elevating the, the principles, the doctrine over people. And that's an error. And Jesus tried to level that all out again. Upward progression. We put this this way. If you get born again and you're going to move up into things of God, here is the upward progression. First off, I ask the question, is it right? Is it right? Is this thing right? Because that's a that should be a a newborn believer. Their first question should be, is this a right thing to do? Not lawful. Is it right? How many of y'all watch those law shows they have on TV? How many things go through and they're lawful? But you're shaking your head and say, that's not right. That is not right. That should not happen. Oh, it gets you. I mean, they write it so they get you, man. I know that. But (laughs) you get through that that law show or whatever was going on. And you see the uh, court decision or the judge's decision or how the lawyers did certain things. And all, you just get really upset. My favorite law show one of my favorite shows next to Star Trek Star Trek's up there but after Star Trek my favorite show that ever came on TV was a law show it was all about about law but oh it was I'll tell you what if you have ever seen this show it is one of the best law shows because they were not concerned about the legality they were concerned about what was right anybody remember that show? you're all saying there's no show in the world out there like that right? (laughs) Oh, the show I watched was JAG. Oh, I love the show JAG. Because they, they didn't just follow the law. They had a moral element because of their service and their commitment to the service that was missing in all the other... All the other. They even did a, a series of episodes where one of the JAG members got off, the, off of the... resigned her commission and went out and worked in a private practice and it drove her nuts. And she came on back because uh, the immorality that was there, the things that you had to do. And I just loved that show because there was such a moral element that guided them through the through the thing. And, oh, look at what's right. That should be our, cr- our question as a as a Christian. What is right? Every once in a while, I still catch a JAG rerun. Put it on the TV. And watch it. Fortunately, my wife likes it. I don't know if she likes it as much as I do. But, oh, it's a fun show. But is it right? Is it right? it right to do? That's the first thing we ask. We're moving up. We go from there from is it right to is it God's will? I go from asking this thing. Is it right to well? All right. Maybe it is right. But is this what God wants me to do? All right. That's a that's an okay thing to do. But is it okay for me? That's the right thing to do. But is it a right thing? Is it a right direction for me to do? We're moving up. We're progressing upwards. We go from is it right, is it, the, is it God's will, to is it God's desire? All right, well, this is right. This is the will of God. But what does God desire? What does God really want in this whole thing? I never saw this portrayed better than we were over at Ramah. And they don't do this anymore out there, but those students are missing out. But what they used to do to us was uh, we would have orientation. All the first year students would come on in and we were all dressed up, you know, some dress shirts and some dress pants and some dress shoes. And and, you know, they, they look pretty good. And uh, Bo Moffat, he was our dean at the time. He would come on out and he would say, all right, here's the dress code. Your hair has to be no longer for the guys. You know, I didn't focus on what it was for the girls. I don't think they had a length requirement. I wasn't a girl. It didn't matter to me how they wanted the girls to dress. I had to be concerned about how they wanted the guys to dress. Hair no longer than, you know, if it touched your collar, you get tapped on the, sh- on the shoulder, Bo Moffitt come up, cut your hair, son. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and you get out there the next day. You don't come into school the next day unless your hair is cut because he's looking for you. He never tapped me on the shoulder. My hair always stayed cut and uh, made sure that that was done. And they said, our, our requirement is that you wear a dress shirt, dress pants, dress shoes. That's the requirement. That's what's right. That's what's right. Our will is that you do this willingly, that you want to dress up. That's what our will is. But our heart's desire is that you understand you should be wearing a suit and a tie. That's our desire. But we're not going to require that of you. But that's our desire. And so they sowed this in us. This is our desire. But this is what you have to do. And first year, just about everybody came in with the bare requirements. You know, a few of us, we, we decided to alter and, and, uh, to change. And we, we wore, um, ties and dress shirts and things like that. But by the time we got into second year, we walk into the first day of class, second year, we walk into class, every, 400 guys in the pastor's class. That's just one part of it. 400 guys in the pastor's class. I think there's like four or five women. All the rest were guys. <laughs> Every single guy, every single one had a suit, a tie and dress shirt The first day. And it stayed that way all through the year. I don't think I ever saw a second year Raymond student outside of a tie may have been happened somewhere, just didn't register with me, but they, they didn't do it because they were required. They did it because that's their desire. I want to please them. I want to do that. Now, what got into some of us, you know, I, I feel most comfortable in a tie. My wife yells at me all the time. She says, why are you wearing a tie all the time? Because, you know, I work in a shop. I can't put a tie on. It's dangerous. Tie gets like caught up in a table saw and pulls you right in. You know, it's just not a good thing to do. Ties are not, are not good in the, in the workshop. But, you know, if I get a tie on, I like hey, keeping that tie on. I'll keep the tie on all day long. It's just one of those things we did. My parents, they, they t- dropped me off at the airport. They told me a story about it afterwards that somebody came up to them and said, how did you cause I go to the airport? I go in a suit. I, to this day, if I can, I will go to the airport in at least a tie, if not a suit. I just feel comfortable that way. And so we, we got in there. I had a I had a suit on. I only had, I think, two suits back then. I don't think I had many of them. I alternate them. But I was in there. I had the suit. And they came up to me, and they, they They said, how come your son's wearing a how'd you get your son to wear a suit? They said, we don't know. We sent him over to his school and he came back wearing suits. <laughs> Su- suits and ties. What do you do? But you see, they sowed a desire on in the inside of us. And because we, we were not looking for what is legal, we weren't looking for what is right. We looked here, what do you want us to do? See, that's a different attitude. That's an attitude that says, I'm moving up. We're not looking for what can I get away with and be a Christian? I'm not looking for what is Right. I'm not looking for just what is the will of God. I'm looking at what does God desire? God, if you could have me do anything at all for you, what would it be? What would it be? And we want to go after the desires. What do they desire? The downward progression. Well, we can start, you know, for a born-again person, not an unsaved person, but a born-again person. We start out and that same thing is it right. Is this the right thing to do? But then we begin to digress. We go from, is it right to, is it permitted? Well, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to go out to, uh, you know, have a drink? Or am I allowed to go out and dance? And am I allowed to... We're looking at what what is permitted. And then once we uh, hit that level, and we kind of sink down a little bit lower, and now we're going to, is it legal? And we start quoting chapter and verse to God. Well, God, you can't tell me I can't do that, because right there it says... And then we get down to the bottom part, the lowest part here. Is it what I wanted? Is it what I wanted? We don't even care about God anymore, what His desires are. Is it what I want? Is it what I want? Well, look at what they, they do here. They, they pick it up. They said to Him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? So now they're quoting Scripture to Him. Or they're quoting, you know, what happened in the Word of God. So they say, all right, if that's the case, if God doesn't want anyone to get divorced, how come Moses said it was okay? Because they're trying to compare. They keep trying to get Jesus, the new guy on the block, compared to Moses, who is well revered and respected. And if they can get a contrast that Jesus is not measuring up to Moses, they've done it. They've, they've knocked him out. So well, how come, you know, you say that, but Moses said it was okay that we would ask for for a divorce? How many people have ever asked questions like this? You probably have heard it. I put it in your outline this way. If that's really what the Word said, why does this happen? If the Word of God really says that, how come that this is allowed? Have you ever heard people ask questions like that? Well, if that's really what the Bible says, if that's really who God is, why does this go on? If God really is a God of love, why are people starving to death? And we ask questions like this, because we're not understanding the whole of the Scripture, and so what we do is we just see these little pits and pieces and we're, we're not trying to find out. These folks are not trying to find out what is the will of God, what is the desires of God. They're trying to find out what's legal. What can we get away with? Looking for loopholes or reasons why not doing what God states wants or desires is an indicator of a hard heart. It's an indicator of a hard heart. Now you may wonder how some laws ever came into being. Have you ever heard some, some laws that are on the books and some Country, some uh, cities, and you just wonder why. Whatever happened to create a law like that? I found some interesting laws that you might be interested in in hearing. These um, were put together on a book, um, "Old Laws Still in the Books," citation by Robert Pelton. Came I was uh, published here in the Christian Reader. Here's the first one: Young girls are never allowed to walk a tightrope in Wheeler, Mississippi. Unless it's in a church. That's a that's a law. In Blackwater, Kentucky, tickling a woman under her chin with a feather duster while she's in church service carries a penalty of ten dollars and a one and one day in jail. No one can eat unshelled roasted peanuts while attending church in Idena, Oregon. I D A N H A, Oregon. In Honey Creek, Iowa No one is permitted to carry a slingshot to church except police. No citizen citizen in Lee Creek, Arkansas is allowed to attend church in any red-colored garment. No one's wearing red here today, so that's okay. Swinging a yo-yo in church or anywhere in public on the Sabbath is prohibited in Studley, Virginia. Turtle races are not permitted within 100 yards of a local church at any time in Slaughter, Louisiana. Now, you now have to wonder, how do these laws ever come about? What what were we doing? What, yeah, and you do have to wonder, you do have to shake your head at it. But thank God, God does not make up those kind of laws. And the things that He has put in His Word, when we hear about them, we, yes, sir. Yes, sir. When we hear about the 10 steps, what you're supposed to do in an anaconda attacks, we may, you know, it's written by the United States government, the Bible was not written by the United States government. Glory to God for that. <laughs> you agree with that? I, I, I don't, I, that? If you had an anaconda, I don't, I'm giving it a shot. All right. If, if I get run into an anaconda, uh, I just have to make sure I follow rule number 9 and 10 and have my knife and make sure it's sharp. <laughs> as long as I did that, I'm going to try and do the rest of that. It sounds like it might actually work. But it sure don't sound fun. Of course, don't get caught by an anaconda. You don't even have to deal with that at all. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Alright, if you're saying that's true, then how come this happened? Why is it that God, through Moses, gave this certificate of divorce? Well, Jesus had an answer for him. Verse 8, He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Why did He let them do it? Because of the hardness of the heart. In other words, because you were so hard to what the desire, what the will of God was in the situation that God said, "All right, the only way we're going to make progress from here is if we allow them to do that. There are some things that God will allow you to do that it's to your benefit not to get involved with. But I'll allow you. He said it's because of the hardness of your heart, God said, all right, if we're going to have any, any success with moving these people on, we're going to have to give them to this. But it's better that, the, that it not be that way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, now we're getting into the reasons. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, who is divorced, commits adultery. So after he got, got all the initial things out of the way, the first off, your premise is wrong. First off, what you're what you're saying? Wrong premise. And sometimes we just we get so caught up in answering a question, we forget the thing that the premise is wrong. And you can get suckered into answering answer a question. Watch some of the unsaved people that are around you; they'll ask you questions, and your and their premise is wrong. They've got wrong assumptions in there. I don't know if any of you are spending any time watching the debates that go on, but. Um, You know, I'm I'm interested in hearing all the candidates. I haven't decided who I'm going to vote for. I'm just, you know, hoping that this year, when they come to Pennsylvania, we have a choice. (laughs) I'm just looking for that. So if we get to that spot, but somebody asked, uh, I don't know who it was, uh, whoever the debate guy was, asked uh, a question, and I think it was directed at Mitt Romney. And he asked him, he says, uh, do you think that states should be allowed to ban contraception? And, you know, fortunately, Mitt had the wherewithal to, to challenge the premise of the question. And he said, I don't know of any state that's trying to do that. Why would why would you try and figure out an answer to that does it, Is there a state that's trying to do that? <laughs> and they, well, no, no, I don't know of anyone it is, but if they did try. Well, if no state's trying to do that, why are we answering this question? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, just get back down to the basics of this thing. Is Is that a legitimate question? (laughs) They asked the question. It's not a legitimate question. He exposed their premise. First off, you guys are off on this thing because the divorce was because of your hardness of your heart. Now you're compounding it because you're hard to all the other things that God wants to do. So he goes on. Now, I wrote this down in your outline. I want you to get a hold of this because sometimes we get frustrated in this. You cannot get, you can't get hard-hearted people born again until they are ready to soften their heart. You cannot get hard-hearted people born again until they are ready to soften their heart. You can't argue them in. Paul tried to argue people in. He said it was not successful. And I think Paul is a better arguer than all of us. You can't convince them of truth because you can give them all the facts and it makes no difference. Just like the global warming people. You can throw all the truth out there to them. But you know they're hard, hearted on the no, no, no. The man's man's responsible for warming the earth, and there's so many different ways, so many different facts you can throw at them. We've done it before, and not going to get into it now. You can't convince them of truth. You're not if they're not ready to receive it. You can't convince them of it. You can't convince them that God loves them. You can't convince them that Jesus is the answer. If they're not willing to receive it, until they are ready to receive the things of God. They have to be ready to receive the things of God. Now, how do you get there? How do you get from a place where you are hard to the things of God to a place where you are soft? you Are ready to receive those things? Well, have you ever tenderized a piece of meat? <laughs> Why do you tenderize a piece of meat? You're trying to soften it up, right? So what do you do? You pound on it. Bang, 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 bang we <laughs> softening this thing up. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> right? Because uh, you, you're softening a piece of meat. Now, God's not out there. He says, who can I bang today? Who can I take the hammer out and just, you know, whack at him for a little while? That's not what he's looking to do. But situations are going to come and th- you're going to lose this and you're going to lose that. God said, you know, see, situations will happen. The, the canker worm will come and do this and pesticides or, uh, or pests will come and do this. And... and uh, Pestilence will come after you. And he named all these different things that come when they're not following after the things of God. And eventually, you know, he said, if you guys get to a place where you turn to me, great. And Deuteronomy gives five stages of backsliding. All of which God says, you know, at the end of any of those stages, you can certainly come on back and they're getting pounded, not from God, but from the situations around them because they have no protection. And so what happens is people lose their job People end up doing things wrong and get in prison. People have have lost things. They've lost family. They've lost joy. They've lost the desire to live. And they come to what we often call as the end of the rope. They hit bottom. And they don't know. There's no other place they can go. And so then they begin to to be open to that. And you have people go into prison ministries and they find some of these folks. They're just, oh, I... I don't even want to live anymore. And they give them the hope, of. but now they receive it. Why? Because everything I held on to is gone. And now I receive that. And then they get their life turned around. Glory to God for that. But you can't argue them in. You can't convince them of the truth. If they're not ready to receive it, well, when you're ready, you look me up. I'm here. And you just keep living the way you're living. you letting the light shine that you've got. Jesus and Moses granted us because of what? The hardness of heart. Your hardness of heart. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Having their understanding darkened. This is why you can't argue them in. Their understanding is darkened. How many times have we talked to unsaved people and, you know, we're bringing up some things about the Word of God and they argue with us. They refuse to accept. And we're almost pulling our out. Why can't you see this? Oh, no, I don't think. Oh, I believe that this is going on. And you just shake your head. and say, Are you serious? Are you really an intelligent person? Hanging on to that kind of thing. But no, no, no. I, I believe that we came from apes. I believe that all living stuff just happened to be from one little one little living cell. Just by accident happened to... you got to be kidding me. Do you know how much faith that takes? Don't tell me these people can't believe stuff or can't receive stuff. They had to receive that. There was no evidence for it. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Being alienated from the life of God. This is something that we uh, as Christians have a hard time understanding. The life of God is such an integral part of our existence. We have his peace. We have his joy. We have the steadfastness that comes from that. And people who, um, who are not born again, they don't have that. They're alienated from it. We walk in it on a regular daily basis. So much so that we just think, this is the way that it is. This is how it is. We just get used to it. How many times do we get used to things? How many of you remember back in the summer, if we had a 45 degree day, what are you all grabbing for? Sweaters, coats, 45 degrees when it's supposed to be 75, 80, 90 degrees, 45 degrees. I mean, it feels cold. Now, if we have weather like this for a week or two and then we have 45 degrees, what are we doing? Oh man, is it ever, oh man, I can't, going outside in a short-sleeved shirt, because it's, oh, it's 45 degrees today, Whew. oh man, what happened, it's still 45 degrees, you got used to walking in a certain climate, when you're used to walking in 15 degrees, 20 degrees, 45 degrees seems like, oh man, we're in the Caribbean, oh wow, this is great, this is wonderful, this is so. by when you're used to 75 and 80 degrees and all of a sudden it drops to 45. I'm not used to that. This is the change. Same temperature, but we respond to it differently. And not quite the, the same thing. You get a little bit of stuff like this. 32 degrees is going to feel. Oh, glory to God, it is freezing today. <sighs> 32 degrees. It is so good. No, oh, it just feels nice out there. Going to go outside and shovel the snow with a short sleeve shirt on. Because it feels, because you're used to walking in a certain thing. You are used to walking in the light of God. You are used to walking in the life of God. Unsaved people are not. If you start talking to them about that, they don't know what you're talking about. They don't They don't walk in that. They don't understand it. If you talk to somebody who's walk, who lives in a climate of 80 degrees and you tell them, Oh, it was 45 today. We were outside in short-sleeved shirts. They're thinking... 45, man, I've got to get a coat. How in the world can you walk around? Because we're talking two different climates. In the climate with God, oh, things are good. Things are good. But in the climate of hell, it's very different. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So here's two reasons. they got ignorance and blindness of heart. Ignorance and blindness of heart. Of heart. Not only hard heartedness, but now we're talking about blindedness. Uh, their hearts are blinded. They're, they can't see it. On a heart level, they can't see it. They're blinded. And there's ignorance. They don't know some of the stuff that you know. That's why I always tell you, look at every opportunity. You know stuff that the rest of the world, oh, if they only knew it, their lives would change drastically. So make sure you get out there and share it with them. Don't apologize for knowing that stuff. It's good stuff. It's the life of God stuff. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. There are some things that non-Christian people get involved with and you look at that and your feelings get involved. Your emotions get, oh, how can you do, oh, oh, how can you be that mean to be, how can you be that hateful? How can you have that bitterness? Oh, how can you do that? And we can't understand it. We're alienated from that. But they're past feeling. They do it and it doesn't even have any effect. It's like nothing. Oh, how do you do that? You being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. We give in to deceitful lust. Our man will be corrupted. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're reading this through fast. We're just looking for a few things out of here. Therefore, putting us away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for you are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Now look at verse 29. Let no corrupt let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Whatever it is that we see out of our mouth, we've got to make sure that it imparts grace to those who hear it. That's what we want you to focus on. Make sure it imparts grace. Don't let any corrupt words come out of your mouth. Don't do that. You're not walking like the Gentiles did. You're walking in the life of God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. People... Who have hard hearts. People who are stubborn against the things of God. They have bitter, evil words. Bitter, evil words are a sign of a hard heart. If you just summarize what Ephesians is saying right there, if you have bitter, evil words that come out of your mouth, it is a sign of a hard heart. I want you to get this understanding down. You cannot have bitter words, evil words, without also having associated with it a hard heart. It is not possible. Whenever you as a Christian get involved in corrupt communication, get involved in words that are bitter, words that are evil, words that fit into the list that he said, whenever you do it, whatever situation you do it in, you have a hard heart in that situation. You're saying, no, I don't. Uh-uh, no, no, I got to. Yeah, you do. Your words will give you away. He said in this verse. And be kind to one another, tender hearted. Words of kindness come from a heart that is tender. Words that are bitter come from a heart that is hard. Now, you just think back. How many, how many people can you think of in the past, you know, not now, but a long time ago, and you had some bitter feelings come up towards them? What was your heart like towards them? Was it tender? What was it? It got hard, didn't it? When you have a hard heart, it is followed by bitter words. They first formulate in your head, but eventually, if you keep focusing on the bitterness, they come out your mouth. What kind of words are associated with tender heartedness? Kind words and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you people who are tender hearted in any situation are first off kind and secondly, forgiving. First off, kind and secondly, forgiving. This will tell you what kind of heart you have. How many of you ever talk with some unsaved people? And if you start talking about God, their attitude changes. The words change. Why? Because they have a hard heart towards God. Look at a couple of people that are dating and talk to them about the the person that they're dating, the girl, the guy that they're dating. What kind of words do they have for that person that they're dating? Kind. You know, whatever they do that's wrong, you know, if they have any funny traits, oh, they're forgiving. Oh, that's no problem. Oh, that's okay. Right? But then after they get married, maybe they're married for a while and some things have gone on and they have become changed towards each other and bitterness begins to come in. What is the heart like towards each other? They become hard. hard Hard-hearted towards each other. And you'll see the bitter words. You'll see the unforgiveness. You'll see these things come about. It's real easy to to see. If you are hard-hearted in any situation you will have words that foul the list of bitter and evil. If you are tender-hearted, you will have words that are kind and forgiving. I didn't write this. It's in there. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away for you with all malice. and Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That's where we need to be at. You can be hard-hearted in one area and tender-hearted in another. How many of y'all know you can be hard-hearted to one individual and tender-hearted towards another? You can have a neighbor on one side and be tender-hearted and a neighbor on the other side in which you are hard-hearted. You may have one in-law that you are hard-hearted to and another in-law that you are receptive to. You can be hard-hearted and you can, in the same person, hard-hearted and tender-hearted. It just depends on what you're looking at, what situation is there. The problem is, the devil gets in on the hard-hearted area. Remember the Word of God tells us, do not give place. Do not give place to the devil. You give the place to the devil by developing a hard heart towards people or things that God wants to deal with you on. If there's a thing that God wants you to get rid of, remember the uh, rich young ruler? Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. and Come follow me. And the man said, oh. and he went away sad. And he didn't do it because he was open for all these other areas. When we looked at the areas that he was open in and, and Jesus even kind of avoided those areas he knew he was hard-hearted in until at the end. And he even said Jesus had compassion. He liked the guy. Your words will identify you. Bitter, evil words are a sign of a hard heart. Kind, forgiving words are a sign of a tender heart. Verse 10. His disciples said to him, verse of Matthew 19, verse 10. If such is the case of the man with his wife, is it better not to marry? Now here's the interesting part. The Pharisees are asking questions as to what is legal. The disciples, look at this, are asking questions about what is desired. The Pharisees, is this legal? The, the disciples, all right, well, if that's true, and we're, we're accepting it as true because, you know, you said it. If that's true, then is it better? In other words, does God desire that we don't marry? Is that a possibility? We're, we're, we're investigating. We want to find out what is the will of God? What is the desire of God in these things? So they're asking questions about that. And He said to them, All cannot accept this saying. Why is it that all cannot accept the saying? Because not all are tender-hearted towards it. But only those to whom it has been given. Only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, people who don't marry, who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have been made who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. So the first two were made eunuchs. They're going to be in a situation where marriage is not really an option for them. But the third one is one who's, all right, it's an option, but I have decided not to. I have decided. Why? Because in pursuing God, I have determined that not only is it God's will, it is God's desire that for me in my life, this is the way I go. And they don't try and impose it on anyone else. Because I understand the word Jesus said. Not all can hear this. I'm not trying to put this off on everybody. But they were asking a question. Is this, what does God desire here? Then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So then the little children come up. We just saw the disciples were asking good questions here. Got a good question. They got into All right, we're accepting this. What you're saying is true. Now, what is the, God's desire in, in the area of marriage? Should we not be married? Now, Peter already has a mother-in-law. Too late for him. Don't know about the rest of them, but they're asking, no, is, it, is it better that we not get married and that we, we're better able to serve God? And he said, well, for some of you, it's going to be that way, but not if only those to whom it's been given can receive this. So he's not saying it's better that everybody be unmarried, nor is he forcing it upon everybody. But then the little children come and they, no, 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 no. What are they? They're soft hearted here. But when the little children come in, oh, don't bother Jesus. Oh, what are you guys doing here? Oh, you can't receive anything. They're hard hearted in this area. And Jesus says, no, stop it. Let them on through. Let them on through. See how easy it is to be open in one area and closed in another? We can have kind, nice words, forgiving words in one area. And over here have evil and bitter words. Wherever we have the evil and the bitter words, we have a hard heart in that area. If we have a hard heart towards people, if we have evil, bitter words towards people, we have to ask ourselves, am I in a place where I am not not putting out kindness and I am not forgiving? Now don't get into flesh mode on this. We've taught you enough times on this thing, but don't get into a flesh mode on this flesh mode is I need to be kind to everybody. So here's the question. Was Jesus kind to everybody? No. Was he kind to the Pharisees? No. Was he kind to the Sadducees? Was he kind to Herodians? Was he kind to the woman from Tyre? Not initially, was he? How hey, about to the man who came who the nobleman who came with his son was dead or was dying? Please, if you come with me. You guys all look for an evil, an evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign. How long, how long am I going to bear with you guys? I mean, really, he's going to die if you don't come. Go your ways. He's all right. That's it. I mean, is that kind? How <laughs> about hey, sometimes Jesus dealt with the disciples kind of firmly? Just because you don't... If a person has rejected kindness, don't keep offering it. The Word of God does say don't cast your pearls before swine. If they don't want your acts of kindness, then don't give it to them. Go on to somebody else. But don't get bitter about it. Don't get angry about it. Don't get, well, I'm going to... No, that's developing a hard heart. That's a place where the devil can get in. No, just stay soft. Well, Father God, if they ever want to receive stuff from me, kindness from me, I'm ready for it. But until they're ready, we're not going to waste time. We're going to give these acts of kindness over here to someplace else. Let me put it to you this way. How many have ever had a garden at home? Anybody, you know, tilled up an area of, of ground and uh, and did a, a garden? Have you ever f- stumbled upon an area of soil where you tilled it and you put the soil, the seeds in there and nothing grew? And then you tilled it again and you worked it and you put the seeds in and nothing grew or a little bit grew, a little bit of growth and then it died. Are you going to do it a third year? Are you going to do it in a fourth year? Is there a time when you get to a place you say, you know what? That is not good soil. (laughs) We keep wasting good seed here and all this effort and I get nothing out of it. I'm not going to sow there. We're going to go over here. And you put the same amount of effort over here and you got crops. You got tomatoes and peppers and all kinds of... over Because you moved over here. How much better is that? You can give people an opportunity to, to go, but if they don't go, it's up to them. But don't keep going out there and feeling like you've got to throw kindness to everybody. The devil wants to get you into that, that rut because it'll make you hard. If you're not hard already, it'll make you hard because you'll get bitter throwing things out and then they're still not receiving it. Jesus told his disciples, if you go into a city and they do not receive you, go back in and try again. Oh, he didn't say that? What did he say? Shake the dust off your feet and go to a different city? Huh. So that's why you had trouble. You keep going back into the city. If people don't want to receive your acts of kindness, go to a different city. It's okay. They don't want to receive it. Somebody else will come along. Maybe they'll receive it from them. Go on into a different city and just stay happy. Stay happy. Just go on. He says shake the dust off your feet and go on. He doesn't say meditate on it. mull over it. Figure out why it is that they're so evil that they didn't receive. Oh, don't do that. Just go on to another city. Somebody else probably come over to that city and maybe they'll have some success and don't sit there and say, well, they should have done that when I was there. No, they don't worry about it. Glory to God. They got born again. They, got, they received. Just don't get bitter. Stay kind. Stay forgiving because that promotes a, uh, a tender heart. How many have ever seen all those commercials, you know, for different uh, additives you can put in your food, different uh, vitamins you can take, different um, uh, uh, fish oils? uh, Help me out with this. What are are all the different supplements you can do? I mean, just, you can spend all kinds of money on supplements, right? And each one is supposed to, you know, vitamin E does this, and fish oil does this, and, you know, stuff that you would never want to eat, but in a pill form, we can take that. And so you begin to take... Because you believe that they're going to have good effect on you. That's what you're going for. Go for the good effect the kind words and a forgiving attitude have. Has an an effect on your heart. You're keeping your heart tender and not letting it get hard. That's what you want. We're going to close with this one. Proverbs 16, verse 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. Understanding is a wellspring of life of life to him who has it. Do you understand? Do you get that? Understanding is a wellspring of life. If you fully understand what he's saying in this, you will spend every moment you can to get understanding on the things of God. Not just hearing them, but understanding. But the correction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. The heart, the tender heart of the wise teaches his mouth. Remember James talks about getting that mouth under control? And adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. (laughs) Pleasant words. You get into bitter, angry words, evil words. they They are horrible for your soul. This one, oh, it's health to your bones. Sweetness to your soul. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. Just because you think a way is right doesn't mean that it is. Listen to the wisdom of God and follow after the wisdom of God. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. One more time. Verse uh, 22. The correction of fools is folly. The correction of fools is folly. God wants to be able to come in and speak into your life and correct you and see you adjust immediately. That is a tender-hearted person, one who is ready to receive whatever it is that God has to give to him. We had a wonderful men's breakfast yesterday. We were talking with some of the men about this. And uh, we, we got to talking about the 76ers. Anybody a basketball fan? A couple of people. My wife, my, my wife and I, we sat and watched two games this year together just watching. She, enjoys best. she doesn't enjoy football, but she enjoys basketball and so we can watch that. They are a fun team. If you have not watched the 76ers yet this year, oh man, if you like basketball, they are a fun team. There was a report that came out about one of the team and that they have every single player on that team, I think, so highly of. Their character is just incredible. And they have this one young player. He's not a starter. He comes off the bench. His name is Jody Meeks. And they did a story on him the following day because he, he went to his coach for correction. He didn't wait for his coach to come to him. He went to his coach... To get correction. Because in the game the night before, he, his minutes were down. And he came up to, he, came, he approached his coach. And he said, Coach, am I doing something wrong? How many of you know some superstars that don't approach the coach that way? He approached his coach, Coach, am I doing something wrong? Did I take too many shots? I forget what it was. You know, I missed some shots. What, should I not have done that? Did I do anything wrong? And the coach said, Oh, no. You're playing just fine. It was just the matchups that went on that night. And we just had to do things a little differently. You're doing just great. And he encouraged him. But the guy, Jody Meeks, he went up to the coach and said, if I need correction, I'm ready. Give it to me. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to wait. I want it now. You didn't use me last night. If there's anything on my side that you need to change, change it now. I'm ready. That's a tender heart. That's a man who's going to go places. (laughs) Because he's, Coach, I'm ready. Just tell me. Just tell me what's going on. I'm ready to, to... This is how we need to be with God. God needs to be able to come to me. And I, I sometimes don't even wait. If I feel like, you know, God, you didn't use me much yesterday. Was, was it, is, it, is it anything with me? Do I need to change something? Did, did I miss something? Did I? No, 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 you're fine. We're just using other people. Okay. All right. If I miss it, you let me know. <laughs> See, we have that attitude. I want God to correct me. We don't get upset when God comes and corrects us. How many of you have people in your life and they come in and say, you know, you're doing that wrong. And we go... Pfft. They walk into your kitchen and they tell you how you are cooking wrong. And what do you do? <sighs> Evil. Angry words come up on the inside of us. This is my kitchen. I do it in my kitchen. <laughs> right? We can get a little hard-hearted towards that sort of thing. No, you don't want to do that with God. You you let God come into your kitchen and you tell him how to let you tell you how to cook. You tell him you can do it however you want me to do it because I'm sure your way is better. Listen, that's a tender-hearted person. When God comes in and says, Steve, don't have angry words in that situation. Yes, sir. We don't go there, but is it legal? But what about when you say this in the Word of God now? Isn't that contradicting yourself, God? When you No, when he comes to me and he says, don't do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I won't do that anymore. <laughs> Because I have a tender heart. But if I have a hard heart and God comes to me and He begins to speak some things to me, I resist Him. And when I resist Him, I am applying the things to my heart to make it hard instead of applying the things to my heart to make it right. We want to apply the things to our heart to make it right. God wants us to be ready. He wants us that when He speaks, He says, quit that. We quit it because our goal is to not just do what is right. I want to follow after what God's will is for me, not what God's will is for someone else, what God's will is for me. I know that God has certain things he has out there outlined for me. I want to know, God, what is your will for me? And I want to follow that. You may have this will for brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, and that's great. That's not the will for me. I'm not comparing myself to that. What do you have for me to do? I'm pursuing his will for me. And then I'm going to go beyond that and say, all right, God, I'm following after the will that you've laid out. Now, what do you want? <laughs> what, what do you desire for me to do? And we go after that. That's progressing upward. Are you progressing upward? Or are you progressing downward? Because you're going to go one of two directions. We all start in the same spot. We're looking for what's right. But are we progressing from there Upward? Or are we looking for the legal ways to get out of it? Well, what's permitted? What's permissible? What what can I get away with? You know, we all know the stories when we're growing up. Well, mom didn't say I couldn't do this. Mom didn't say I couldn't go here. Dad didn't say I couldn't. I'm looking for legality. What Jesus is saying is here's the spirit of the law. Pursue the spirit of the law and maintain that, and then go after God. Says God, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm doing what you said was in your will for me. Now, what is it that you desire that I would do? And let God minister to you on that. It'll make your your heart will get softer and softer and softer. And all that God needs to do is speak, and you change. And you'll hear exactly when God says the the change on something. Would y'all stand up? What is God speaking to you? Do you know what the will of God is for your life? Do you know what God's desire is for your life? Are you pursuing that? Or are you still looking for, well, this is what's right. I know this is right. I'll I'll stay here. No, get beyond that. It's good. That's a good starting point. But get beyond it. Father God, what is your will for me? What is your desire? What What would you like to see me get involved with? What would you like to see me grow in? How do you want me to to go about this? What's your desire? Because when we get a soft heart to the things of God in this area and He corrects us, we're going to look in the Word of God and we're going to see that not only do we shape our lives where we're following after the right path, there's a whole lot more that comes our way. Things that a lot of times Christians pray for and don't realize, there's a path to get it and it's not asking for it. There's a path to get some of these things. We'll dig into them as the, as the weeks come on. Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us. We thank you, Father, that we come expecting that we're in the presence of God, good things happen. We're in the presence of God. Things change. Father, we walk out of this church, this place here today, we carry the light of God with us. Whatever place we go into, we carry the light of God with us. We need to have a sensitivity to the fact that the people that we are around are alienated from the life of God. They don't know what it's like. They don't know the continual joy it is just to be in your presence. Help us, Father, to catch your heart, your desire. Because your desire is that all men come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We don't want to just look for the right situations to share Jesus. We want to see that it's your desire. All right, God, if you desire this, you show me how we can get this going. How can I share? How can I help people? How can I minister to them? How can I find those ones that are ready to receive the things of God? Not argue them in. Not convince them of the truth. But people that are ready to receive the things of God. Thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.